Thank you all very much. Please be seated. My name is Dr. Kelly from the School of Theology and Christian Ministry. I'd like to thank my parents for being here today. Um, I get the privilege of introducing our uh, speaker for this Ash Wednesday service. And uh, our speaker is Dr. Shelley Rambo. And I get the privilege of introducing her, not just because we're friends and uh, went to school together back in the day, uh, but also because uh, Dr. Rambo is here today, not just for this chapel service, but she is our campus guest for this year's H. Orton Wiley Lectures in Theology. And uh, this is a lecture series that's going to take place over the course of the rest of this week. Dr. Rambo is going to give four talks over the next few days. And the first one actually comes up right after chapel today at 11 o'clock over in Krill Performance Hall. And then again today at 1.30 over in Krill. And uh, the lecture series topic is, I think, really timely for us. Uh, The lecture series is entitled Faith in Post-Traumatic Times, looking at how can we live into the resurrection faith of Christ in the face of trauma and suffering and injury and woundedness. So I hope you can make it out to some of the talks. Again, the first one's at 11 o'clock today in Krill, and then again at 1.30 uh, in Krill. So it's, uh, it's a great privilege to introduce Dr. Shelley Rambo. She is Associate Professor of Theology at Boston University School of Theology, although I am confident she is not a Patriots fan because she is a Christian. So would you join me in welcoming Dr. Rambo this morning? Wow. Uh, Thank you, Brad. Um, uh, Thank you, everyone, um, for being here in the warm welcome and the warm. You saved a Bostonian from February, um, and I don't take that lightly. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, amen. After a friend's wedding, she asked me if I'd be willing to drive her brother to the airport, three hours away. So I was looking forward to a podcast-filled solo drive, but I agreed, after all, it was her wedding. Her brother was a tattoo artist from Chicago, Estranged from the family for a while, Josh had taken up a tattoo, uh, taken up work as a tattoo apprentice, and he began to move into freehand techniques and to larger scale work. What I didn't realize is that this favor for a friend would be a mesmerizing introduction to tattooing. Most of my clients are trying to tell a story he told me, and I help them tell it. We plot it out. We think about where it fits, where the parts of the story should be placed. He inscribes their story on their sleeve. So not long after this airport run, a student asked me to be present for one of her tattoo sessions. She had served several years in the National Guard. She had reported sexual assault by her commanding officer 
and had been ostracized by her enlisted colleagues. So the processes of covering up and covering over were painful. No one believed her. So she ended up in my theology class, and she heard in some of the books we were reading an invitation to tell truths, to witness her own experience and those of many other women. She told me that she was changing her name. Hope was inked across her top right arm. It was a renaming ceremony. The, the abuse that she had experienced, that was her old name. Hope was her new name. And she wanted me to be there to witness it. More recently, a close friend, Chad, entered into a six-month process. Episodes from the novella The Little Prince are etched on his arm. This poetic watercolored story of a boy's planetary journey to Earth uh, and his search for meaning, this is what Chad chose to tattoo on his arm. You may only know it through the image of the journey to, you may only know it of the image of the boy standing on a planet looking out at the expansive universe. So Chad explained the plans for each session, uh, which section on the arm, the method of the particular artist. He was midway through his sessions when my husband asked him, why the little prince? My dad left when I was really young. And when he did, my mom looked to me to fill his role. She started to refer to me as the little man, and I've been that ever since. I never had a childhood, he said. It was over before it began. That little boy is me. My friend is mapping the story of a wound on his left arm. Listening to him, the little prince comes alive. It's as if this etched boy figure reaches down deep, touches Chad's wound, and gathers up that little man and infuses the spirit of childhood back into him. I never knew that Chad had carried this with him or in him, the death of his childhood. It was not visible to those around him, but he is writing the story, inscribing it on his skin. It strikes me that both Hope and Chad are telling a story about wounds, but they're writing it forward, not back. It's not simply a story about their past, it's a story about their future. This is not, despite what I've said, a tattoo promotional. This has not convinced me to get a tattoo, but tattoos are on the rise. 38% of millennials have at least one tattoo, compared to 32% of Gen Xers and 15% of baby boomers. Not everyone would narrate their tattoos in this way, but I hear in these stories a powerful reclaiming of past wounds still present. They are claiming in a very tangible way a different relationship to the past, and the writing tablet is their skin. That the tattoo remembers back, but it writes 
the story forward. It surfaces the wound, the loss, the death, but does not count it as loss. The Christian tradition has a lot to say about wounds. In fact, you could say that wounds lie at the center of that story. But it often fails to speak a healing message about the wounds that we carry. And it's told to many of us, those ancient wounds come into a very problematic relationship with our present day wounds. So I'm concerned about how this story is told. I'm concerned about how certain ways of telling the story of Jesus' crucifixion keep people in situations of abuse. I'm concerned that it translates into Jesus suffers, therefore I suffer. I'm concerned with how it's used as an instrument of war, onward Christian soldiers. And I'm concerned that carrying the cross often means that certain people carry the load in our society. I'm concerned about wounds inflicted in the name of wounds. While wounds are at the center of the Christian story, they not only fail to speak, they do real harm. Ash Wednesday is a day in which Christians mark themselves. The imposition of ashes is a marking ritual. Its meaning and practice has changed over, changed over history. It was once attended, intended for a very specific group, either for those initiating into the Christian faith or for those who committed grave offenses who entered into a long penitential process. The practice broadened in the 11th century to include all Christians, and this practice marks the beginning of the Lenten season, a 46-day period in which Christians direct themselves through bodily practices of fasting, prayer, and repentance toward Easter. It's a time of reckoning and reflection. The ashes are an outward sign of, a, of an inward process. The Ash Wednesday service centers on the words spoken in the ritual. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. When asked about its meaning and its increased popularity in traditionally non-liturgical churches, Lauren Winner says, it's very powerful to stay and hear those words. I keep waiting for it to get overly familiar and lose its power, but it doesn't. The power is often ascribed to the second part, to the jolting reminder that we are going to die, capital D, finitude, mortality, life is fleeting, you will return to dust. That part seems to stick with us. But in doing this, we miss the powerful first part, remember that you are dust. This ritual takes us to the dust of creation. Remember that. It begins with a natal affirmation. It begins by recalling a cosmic naming ceremony in which the earth creature was formed through dust and breath. God took the dust of the earth and breathed on it. Dust needs breath to become a living creature. The two are the raw ingredients of creation. So Ash Wednesday returns us to the elements or to the elemental. Remember this, God has a relationship to dust. 
God loved the dust into being. God has continued investment in it. We know that throughout the Hebrew scriptures, God's breath is needed to reanimate and reanimate earth and the earth creatures. Your own Dr. Lodal taught me this. Dust is reanimated again and again, even in places when there seems to be no possibility of life. The biblical witness tells us how important this breath is. Wind, spirit, breath, ruach. Ash Wednesday starts there. Remember your dustness, earth creature. We start there on Ash Wednesday because dust turns to ash as creatures breathe their last breath. It's the cycle of beginnings and endings. But the power of being reminded of this year after year is that we die many deaths. Let's call them little d deaths. It's not the big D death, although we will not escape this. We will lose our breath over and over. And we need to be reminded of who we are because sometimes earth creatures can have the wind knocked out of them. Life will take your breath away. It will mark you in unimaginable and unnameable ways. And those marks are invisible to most of the people sitting right around you. For Chad, it was the death of his childhood. For Hope, it was the death of her bodily integrity. The world marks you in many ways. For your skin color, your sexual identity, it marks you as outsider, stranger, foreigner, illegal. It marks you it marks you when distorted desires lead to violence. It marks you when you do not have the basic resources of life. It marks your body as economy for sale, for use. It marks you as impure, unworthy, unlovable. What is that little D for you? These little Ds come to live in us, and sometimes they live there so long that we begin to work around them. They're wounds that we have learned to live with. When I began to work with chaplains and veterans around military tra trauma, I met Cheyenne Eagleheart. She's a ceremonial healer in the Seneca tradition and a trained psychotherapist. When I asked Cheyenne about her healing work, she used the image of razors. Cheyenne spoke about the wounds that we carry within, and she describes these wounds as razors that come to live inside, that have, inflicted, have been inflicted from the outside but come to live inside of us. They're lodged inside and do real damage. But our systems learn to work around them. They may even lose their specificity but live on within us as shame, guilt, resentment, abandonment. In time, we may even forget that they're there. We operate with shortened breath. As infants, we breathe. As adults, we need to relearn our breath. This clinical insight has shaped the practice of many working in the area of trauma. Instead of trying to recover the story of trauma, they see their first-order work as helping those who've experienced trauma reconnect with their breath. Learning to self-regulate the breath is a means of establishing safety and trust in the world. 
This is not news to those of us in faith traditions. Nefesh, ruah, prana, breath, it's the taproot of all that is. But perhaps it is forgotten wisdom. The dust needs to be reanimated because it dies many deaths. We lose our breath over and over. If we place emphasis on the beginning, remember the dust, it can turn us to, to the little deaths that we experience in a new way. I invite you to think about the ritual of Ash Wednesday as a marking rooted in this profound affirmation. We are dust creatures loved into being by the breath of God. And when we take our last breath, we're folded back into the earth, into the full embrace of the one who gave us life. But in between, in the middle of it all, we need to be reminded elementally that these deaths will not consume us. There's a profound promise tucked into the first part of this liturgical phrase. And the promise is that the divine breath keeps breathing. And that breath can't be extinguished. It's the source engine for everything that flows. Just as it reanimated dust, just as it animated dust, it can reanimate ash. I imagine this ritual of marking as a way of bringing those little Ds to the surface, if only momentarily. The sign of the cross traced on our foreheads is not a permanent tattoo, but it symbolizes something powerful. It brings our little Ds to the surface of our skin and it invites us to rethink our relationship to them, not just as individuals, but as a collective. What do we do with these little Ds, with the wounds that live inside? If and when they break the surface, who will witness them? In many cases, Christianity participates in a covering over and a covering up of wounds. In many cases, Christianity is a great place to keep secrets. It pushes down difficult and messy truths below the surface. It's tidier that way. But what if Ash Wednesday stands as a corrective to this, a time of collective repentance and examination about wounding done in the name of God? This is Ash Wednesday sermon part two. I don't have time for that. But for now, the question comes to us, will we witness those wounds and write them forward? The ritual of ashes acknowledges those little Ds and insists that the primordial artist and the artist sitting here will rewrite those stories. Death dust and life dust are bound together. They are the elements swirled together on our palette. The ashes are a way of saying that these little deaths can become new. They mark you, but they write the story forward. The tattoo of Ash Wednesday reminds us that those little deaths are held within the larger container of the Christian story. The story of Jesus that we enter, enter into in this season is a wilderness wounding story. It's a story that can reach down like the little prince and embrace the wounded child inside. 
Jesus writes the story of death forward. It's a cosmic love story pulsing on, powered by the breath, the spirit. I imagine, too, the Christian community collectively searching for wounds that live below the surface. I imagine us calling out to the little deaths, lifting them to the surface and giving them new air. It presents an invitation to us, to the community, to witness those deaths forward. We come from dust and return to dust, created, loved into being, and folded back into God, earth creature. But in the middle are the inhales and the exhales. Angela Hope wrote her story forward. This does not mean that her wounds went away, but she reinscribed them with a different ending. And she did so in the presence of witnesses, two or three gathered in the tattoo studio. If Christian faith is to mean something, it must witness wounds, not to glory in them, but to tell truths about wounding and to write those stories forward. Write them forward. May it be so. Amen.